the talk this evening factors of awakening. of meditation, process of change, ourselves and within our lives, ingredients, with an awareness that needs also to be accompanied by a certain inner vision for us possible to us of what that change in our lives that will enable us to live a life of greater sensitivity of greater understanding with that inner vision also the inner trust, potential, about the changes that a trust, a trust in our own potential. With that trust too, then there needs to be without energy. May envision directions that we may envision in life simply remain thoughts, simply remain on the level of and don't make that transition into actuality. And it is energy which makes the most which is no degree or no depth of insight or understanding is applied. How much we see the relationship between attachment and matter, how much we receive and suffering. A real application of that understanding in our lives, then that insight or that understanding to bring about any form. Often, what motivates desire motivates it satisfaction. An awareness of dissatisfaction within ourselves or within our lives. So there wouldn't be any motivation, any form of change. If our lives were with happiness, with fulfillment, there simply outwardly or inwardly. Yet the actuality of few people's lives is a picture of us experience in our lives times of happiness, times of serenity. We experience times of joy, feeling a strong connection. Also 
some moments of space. And yet the actual also tends to experience the actuality of our lives also includes experiences of feeling confused within ourselves feeling defensiveness the actuality of our lives tends to include times when we simply feel to be overwhelmed or overpowered by our mental and because are painful because they make an impression within us there is of their perhaps balance stability and with that dissatisfaction, a desire to bring about change. Another factor which often endeavor to change inwardly or outwardly is simply a sense of intuitive sense within us that we have the potential to be simply more, be more fulfilled, whole within ourselves, have an awareness or an intuitive recognition that we have the potential of life which isn't characterized by extremes, which isn't characterized by pain, but that we have of understanding and of compassion. Intuitive recognition is general. Certainly we have within ourselves. We experience moments when the mind is not scattered. We experience moments We experience moments in communication where there's no defensiveness and no aggressiveness. Selves, when there's of wholeness within ourselves. And yet those moments are often transient. Experiences. And yet when they take place, there, we cannot deny the significance of them and through their development understanding. A strong sense of we may not look at ourselves or at our lives and feel, oh, this is miserable, this is terribly dissatisfying. It's of stagnation. We have become rather stagnant in our growth or static in our view of ourselves and our view of life. It is so often ruts with so many habits, with so much mechanical thinking. And 
have a real impossible to live without dullness. That it is possible for a mechanical relationship simply to be to be more awake, both inwardly and outwardly. And in seeing that, the fulfillment of seek for the ways to bring about a life of consciousness, a life of sensitivity. Seek for the hindrances or the obstruct or distort that sensitivity and fulfillment within ourselves. A wish for change comes out of an awareness of having a lack of a real spiritual foundation spiritual direction in life. People come to the point where they've put so many years into worlds, into getting their career together, getting their lives and often come to a point together or untogether. But at the same time, put so much energy within myself. Who am I as a total human being? And feel a need simply for a more basis in life. When we are confronted or aware of dissatisfaction, there are three which are available for us to follow. One of those paths that's available for us to follow in this path of reaction, the path of bewailing our fate, thinking well, life is so unfair, deserve all of this pain, what everyone is so miserable, chaotic, it's simply unfair. And that kind of path of reaction tends to be a path which leads to a lot of dumping, projecting the source of our unrest, projecting the source of our relationships, blaming our circumstances, blaming our past for the feelings that we are experiencing in the present. Blaming all of that for the feeling of discontent, or the, for the feeling of uh, unfulfillment that we may be experiencing. Certainly that projection and that blaming can consume a tremendous amount of energy. can be very... But it tends to leave in its wake only a kind of inner bitterness, frustration, anger, and leaves also inwardly a kind of inner paralysis in which no meaningful change takes place except to substitute one object of blame for another. Certainly another avenue that's available to us when confronted with dissatisfaction path which I often call the very British path, which is the path of the Stoic acceptor.
that, well, life is suffering, and that's just the way things are, and things are just unfair, and that's just the way life is, and we shouldn't expect any more, except to experience these ups and downs in the mind, and to accept that the mind is confused, and this is the way we are. And often that kind of relationship, that kind of reaction, also gives a sense that there's really nothing worth doing about it, except to make the best of it. And often making the best of it then is translated as meaning, making the best of it means getting what I can out of it. And that kind of relationship to life often leads to a kind of withdrawal from life. I don't really want to have to deal with all of that stuff that's out there. I don't want to have to deal with other people's problems and negativities. I don't want to have to deal with this kind of life <laughs> and suffering and painful. And often that, that there's a kind of withdrawal, a kind of passivity, a, a relationship to life of inaction. And often it's not light to be it's not, we don't like to accept being inactive or being indifferent or being apathetic, so we put another label on it which makes it much more whole. <laughs> ...to life, which is actionlessness. But generally, the only actionlessness that takes place in that kind of relationship is in relationship to the outer world, where we simply seek to be uninvolved or uninterested, where we seek to divorce ourselves. Whereas inwardly, that kind of path of which sees life with that kind of view <laughs> is the self-centered way of thinking, where there's a divorcing oneself from the world and a kind of inner narcissism which can be tremendously absorbing my fantasies and my dramas and my suffering and what I want and what I need and my demands and my likes and my dislikes. And a relationship to life which tends to be tremendously imbalanced. The third avenue which is available to us when we see that there is dissatisfaction, when we see that there is pain, when we see that there is conflict, acknowledge its actuality, is to question its necessity, to truly question, is it necessary in life that we experience pain? Is it necessary in life that we experience confusion? Is it necessary for our lives, for our minds to undergo a process of simply being swept from one mental state to another? And in questioning that necessity, also questioning how this state of confusion or how these experience of, experiences of conflict are created. And in looking at how they are created, also looking at the means to be free from them. Looking at the ways in which it is possible to free ourselves inwardly from a life where there is conflict, where there is suffering. is certainly questioning the possibility of the end of dissatisfaction. It's certainly questioning whether it is possible for, for us to live in a way in which there is no sense of incompleteness 
within ourselves. That path is also the path of bringing about meaningful change. Awareness and intuitive recognition that dissatisfaction, that conflict is not inherent in life, is not integral part of our own lives. Would obviously be naive to think or believe that just by practicing meditation one is going to come to an end of dissatisfaction or an end of conflict or an end of... It's obviously naive to believe that meditation is a kind of uh, cure-all for all illnesses. That one can sit on one's cushion or do a retreat and dissatisfaction is somehow suddenly going to come to an end. For most people what they experience in meditation is the opposite of that. Certainly a person often comes to spirituality, often comes to a life of meditation and in that truly makes an effort to set aside a, a life of competitiveness, a life of ambitiousness, a life of achievement, a life of striving and sets aside that life only to sit and to find that the mind is ambitious, that the mind is competitive, that the mind is striving. Certainly we can often begin a retreat feeling that things were perhaps a little, lives, a little bit imbalanced and halfway through a retreat come to believe that we are totally neurotic. <laughs> and once I met a person, talked with a person who said that they came to meditation to discover their true nature. And on the third, nature, they on the third day they discovered that their true nature was nothing more than a jukebox. <laughs> when we begin in meditation, it can often also be somewhat painful to really be confronted with the dualities that exist between our ideals and our aspirations and the actualities of who we are. And lots of us in meditation, at some point in meditation anyway, tend to images and ideals of what a good meditator is and what an ideal person is, of someone who's always loving and always sensitive and always kind and caring and never gets angry and never gets states and is always compassionate and is always balanced. And often we rather adopt on some level those ideals and expectations that hopefully we are going to move into this kind of being and leave the retreat as a kind of shining beam of light that's going to <laughs> radiate everywhere. We often begin to sit and discover that our, our actualities are rather divorced from our ideals and our aspirations. Certainly, weeks of freedom, of sensitivity, of to be misery, to be suffering, 
to be uptightness, to be greed. And it's discouraging, at times disheartening, to discover. And it's often disheartening because we also discover that meditation doesn't offer any... doesn't necessarily guarantee the end of dissatisfaction. That one can put in an enormous number of hours in meditation. There's no guarantee with it. And even if we had the Buddha in real life sitting here, it also wouldn't guarantee the end of our own dissatisfaction. When we see the gap, that exists between those dualities. When we see the gap that exists between our actualities and aspirations, we must certainly <laughs> that make it possible for us to move from confusion to clarity. What are the factors that make it possible for us to move from a state of reactiveness to a quality of balance? What are the factors that make it possible for us to move from a mind and a consciousness that is preoccupied and dwelling to a consciousness which is open and sensitive? How is it possible for us to bridge the gap between inattention and attention? How do we bridge the gap from being mechanical and asleep to awake within ourselves? How do we move from a life of limitation or a consciousness of limitation to knowing freedom both inwardly and outwardly? It's not the techniques, or the practices, which make that possible. It's not the quantity of... <laughs> Rather, we do need to question within ourselves what we bring to meditation. What are the qualities within ourselves that we need to emphasize? What are the qualities that we have within ourselves that can be developed, that can be nurtured, that can bring an end to those dualities and separations? It's not enough just to sit, just to observe, just to look. And meditation is not just passive. Meditation is at times vital and very much is characterized by the capacity to question, the capacity to inquire. Certainly there are factors that make it possible for the development of consciousness. Just to begin with mindfulness. And mindfulness is a concept which is mentioned frequently during the course of a retreat. It's also a concept which is often used rather superficially, that mindfulness is something that we do or something that we practice, or that mindfulness is a kind of means to an end. But I feel that it would be more true to say that mindfulness is both the means and the end, that in many ways meditation begins and ends with the application of mindfulness. Sometimes mindfulness is equated with going slow. A 
as if slowing down your pace of movement, decreasing your activity, is the practice of mindfulness. And yet you've probably experienced that you can be just as mindless going slowly <laughs> as you can be going quickly. <laughs> that going slowly can be just as much an expression of dullness, of inattention, <laughs> it is. And sometimes people come to retreats and they say, well, this is a very zombie-like existence. All these people walking around like robots as if they're half asleep. And yet a zombie-like existence is dependent upon how fast or how slow we move. But rather a zombie-like existence, a mechanical existence, is very much dependent on how awake or how asleep we are within ourselves how conscious or unconscious we feel in each moment. Mindfulness is an inner dedication to conscious. It's an inner dedication to being awake in each It is that inner dedication which makes transformation possible, either in this situation or in the environment of our daily lives. Mindfulness is a dedication to clarity, it's an inner dedication to being sensitive, to being totally sensitive in each moment. It is that inner ded dedication which is the factor which cuts through conditioning, which cuts through <laughs> It is that inner dedication to sensitivity, to consciousness, which brings a sense of being awake within ourselves which makes superficiality, which makes limitation, which makes mechanical thinking, mechanical living simply fall away. That mindfulness is... <laughs> certainly in the beginning, it is a direction of sensitivity. It is a direction of attention to the body, to the breath, to feelings. To <laughs> that direction of attention really allows the consciousness to open brings spaciousness, brings sensitivity, which allows the consciousness to open. That mindfulness is not then so much something that is done or practiced, but that the mindfulness then is a way of seeing, a way of being. The Buddha once said that a person who practiced mindfulness for seven days would come to immediate liberation. And we've had ten days <laughs> here together and half a day still to go to can be discouraging <laughs> especially if you put in a bit of time here but it can also be inspiring mindfulness does to bring inner transformation very immediately and very dramatically. That inner transformation from unconsciousness to consciousness, from limitation to freedom, is not necessarily a question of progress. And to hold on to notions of progress is only to fill oneself with frustration. Neither is that transformation necessarily a question of time. It is a question of inner transformation.
It is a question of a change in our seeing, a change in our understanding. And time is not a factor in that transformation. The transition from being asleep to being awake is an immediate one. Feel these notions of time are so often grabbed simply because the changes that we experience within ourselves so often seem to be dependent upon the outer. We see our minds moving from happiness to unhappiness. We see our minds moving from elation to depression. We see our mo minds moving from positivity to negativity, from energy to apathy. And so often those changes that we experience within ourselves are dependent upon changes taking place around us, are dependent upon the outer world, who we're with, where we are, the circumstances that we're in, and the changes that take place in those circumstances and people. Conditioning the changes that take place within ourselves. And yet I feel the quality of consciousness, the quality of our own consciousness, is only subject to that conditioning, only has that element of dependency when there is a lack of mindfulness, when there is an absence of a foundation of mindfulness within ourselves. Mindfulness is being conscious, awake. To be mindless is to be dull, is to be inattentive. And when we look at the times in our lives when we're most reactive, when we're most overwhelmed by mental states, when we're most overwhelmed by outer circumstances, it is the times when we are inattentive. It is the times when we feel imbalanced within ourselves and so are subject to that conditioning. Being or experiencing ourselves to be in bondage to mental states or being a prisoner of the mind and a prisoner of the world can only persist, can only be perpetuated a lack of mindfulness. As long as there is a lack of sensitivity. Mindfulness is a quality of being, a quality of practice, the power of bringing light or illuminating the consciousness. In that illumination, in that there is a dispelling of dullness. There is a dispelling of images. In that illuminating the consciousness inwardly, there is sensitivity and there is awareness. That sensitivity and awareness means that the gaps in consciousness which are created through mind mindlessness dissolve. It means that habits, that mechanical thinking dissolves. It means that we are awake. That inner mindfulness means freshly being able to see and to live with total sensitivity and appreciation. And we see in that sensitivity and appreciation how static 
the mind can become and how our images and our habits create a view of life and create a view of other people and create a view of ourselves which is also static. And we can see freshly with sensitivity and with appreciation. We can see that there's no one, no person in this moment who is exactly the same as they were in the last moment. That we are not in this moment exactly the same as we were in the last moment. That everything around us is constantly undergoing change. It's constantly undergoing transformation. And that it is only the mind that remains static in its judgments, in its images, in its habits, in its views. And mindfulness brings that kind of inner freshness of seeing. It really makes a difference between just looking at something and really seeing, between just hearing something and truly being able to listen. That mindfulness also makes a difference between being intent or bound to just becoming someone or something. It's not that way of seeing, it's not so much a practice or a technique, but rather it's a true application of sensitivity in each moment. And it is a Now how possible it is for us even to take aside one hour to be totally mindful. To have one hour without a single gap in consciousness. To have a one hour view, our perception of ourselves, our perception of life isn't distorted by images and habits. To be able even to get up and leave this room with total sensitivity. sensitivity to our bodies, to our connection with life. Just to put on our shoes, to change our postures, to move from one room to another. If there is that total freshness, that total sensitivity, then in that moment there is a true sense of completion. There's a true sense of consciousness, there's a true sense of awareness, a true sense of being fully awake. That consciousness does make images and habits fall away. It brings a creation, it brings a true sense of communion, and that mindfulness also is the door to true to that essential nature of consciousness which is total receptivity, which is total openness which is total awareness. That awareness is the factor which allows us and enables us to question, to inquire, to see clearly, to see clearly the cause-effect suffering, to see clearly the cause-effect relationship in pain, to see clearly the relationship of clinging and grasping in pain, and it is that clear seeing which dissolves those patterns of being. It is that clear seeing in which there is insight into the process of constructing mental states, constructing of mind-made realities. 
that clear seeing brings insight and it is insight, it is understanding which is liberating and insight and understanding is essentially being able to see the false as false. It's being able to see the true as true and in terms of inner liberation it is the truth which is liberating. It is seeing the truth which is liberating. It's not ideas, it's not concepts. It is clear seeing of what is true that brings about inner transformation. Sometimes, probably most of the time, we experience how much energy it takes to be mindful how much energy it takes to be sensitive, how much energy it takes to be attentive. Often more energy than we seem to have. And yet there is often a lack of energy because of a lack of inspiration. And where there is inspiration in one's meditation practice, energy is never a problem. And inspiration is Inspiration essentially comes from understanding. It's tremendously inspiring to see habits and reactions fall away. It's tremendously inspiring to see that we have the qualities that enable ourselves inwardly from mental states from dwelling. It's tremendously inspiring to see that it's possible for us to live with sensitivity, to live with consciousness. When there is understanding, when there is insight, there is inspiration and there is energy. Sometimes people feel that they have to practice in order to get energy. Not seeing that energy actually comes from inspiration. And that the priority is insight, the priority is understanding. Whether it's awareness and inspiration in meditation, there is also joy. Where there is insight and understanding, there is also joy. And joy is an essential part of meditation. The Buddha once spoke of the path of meditation as being the path of happiness which leads to the highest happiness. It is not a path misery, work and striving, but needs to be a path of joy. There's little energy to sustain meditation if it feels like taking a dose of medicine. It tastes terrible and it feels terrible, but someone or something tells me that it's going to be good for me, at least at some future time. <laughs> joy in meditation is an awareness. It is we can perhaps through our own experience have a glimpse of the joy that there is in living without clinging, without dependency, without grasping. We can perhaps experience the joy that there is in being free from dwelling and limitation. Experience that the joy that there is when there is sensitivity in our seeing, when there are no images and no habits, filtering our awareness of actuality. There's joy in truly understanding 
that we don't need to strive for peace, but that we only need to be in peace. And that it is possible for us to be in peace with sensitivity, with appreciation and with awareness. There is also joy in experiencing inwardly a true sense of wholeness, a true sense of fulfillment. In looking inwardly, in being with ourselves and finding in that being no sense of there being anything lacking and no sense of there being anything incomplete. And it is so often that incomplete which leads us to become preoccupied with the outer world. It's that sense of there being something missing within ourselves that leads us to become preoccupied with getting, with gaining, with achieving, with attaining this or that. When we are not preoccupied with getting, with getting rid of, when we are not preoccupied with avoidance or pursuit, when we are not preoccupied with achievement or rejection, and no longer preoccupied with all of that because we know within ourselves a sense of inner completion, then there is also tranquility in meditation. A tranquility which is a true surrender to being with what is. We're seeing that tranquility and peace is not the opposite of anything, is not the absence of any challenge, is not the absence of anything arising, but that true peace is in being without prejudice, is in being without judgment. When there's no longer that preoccupation with getting and getting rid of, which consumes so much energy, then there is depth in meditation. That tranquility brings depth in meditation. It's not striving, it's not forcing, it's not pushing, which brings, brings depth in meditation, but is tranquility and it is joy. It is when that tranquility is there, when that joy is there, that we can know the fullness of being alone without any sense of isolation, without any sense of alienation. But know that true fulfillment of aloneness in which there's also a true sense of completeness and wholeness. There are breakthroughs in meditation practice. But they're not necessarily breakthroughs to altered states of consciousness, to different states of being. The breakthroughs in meditation practice, which are truly significant, are the breakthroughs to being with what is. The breakthroughs which are truly significant is breaking needing to get or to get rid of anything. When there is that breakthrough, then there can be being. Beingness, a kind of mystical equanimity within ourselves which has a boundless capacity to accommodate what is, without disturbance, without conditioning. In that equanimity, there's total balance and total receptivity. 
the factors which lead to that kind of mystical equanimity begin in the moment. Begin in the moment when there is a true inner dedication to being awake, when there's a true inner willingness to be sensitive. In that dedication, in that willingness, there is being, there is sensitivity, and there is a May all beings live with tranquility. May all beings come to inner wholeness. May all beings know inner fulfillment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.